All right, tonight we return to the Bible study exercise that we're working on this week. If you didn't hear part one, well, then you're not doing the homework, and so we won't talk about the homework. A lot of people have been working on the homework. They've done a really good job. I, I may make a reference to some people's homework. I may, but I, I think we're going to, looking at how everyone's working on this, basically people are doing a topical study on a particular topic, and we're going to make a reference to that topic, but we're going to really spend the focus tonight on the Bible study exercise on the text, which is from John chapter 13. But before we get to John 13, before I even mention what the topic is, let's do this. Let's go to the book of Galatians. Now, I don't know how successful this is going to be, but we're going to try here, all right? Galatians 5, and what I want you to do, all right, I want you to put your thinking caps on. And I'm going, to ha- I'm going to give you two sections of Scripture in Galatians. And I want you to look at it with this thought in mind. Contrast and compare. Contrast and compare. What, what, just what, what do you see here? Okay? I'm, I don't want to just walk you right to it, but at least want to, want to help you out as much as possible because I don't want this to turn into 30 minutes of our study. All right? But here we go. All right, Galatians chapter 5. And we'll, we'll read the text and I'll explain why we're looking at it this way in a minute. All right, here we go. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that ye would. But if you led of the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, this is the part I want you to focus on, all right? I know there's a lot there that raises 927 million questions, but we don't have time to get into all of that. All right, here we go. Verse 19. Now, these are the works of the flesh. You may want to write these down. Write down. I, I'm just going to walk you right to it, all right? Just write down uh, works of the flesh, right? Works of the flesh are manifest. Everybody see that? The works of the flesh are manifest. What, what's significant about that word? The works of the flesh are manifest. What's significant about the word manifest? How does the NIV use? What does the NIV say? The acts of the sinful flesh are obvious. So the works of the flesh are going to be things that are obvious, that are manifested, that are seen. Okay? What? Has the Greek word? Known. They're known. Okay. And now listen. What are they? Okay. Adultery. Fornication uncleanliness, and lasciviousness. All of that references some form of sexual immorality in some way, shape, or form for the most part. Okay? Everybody got that? Okay. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness revelings, and such a like of which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Please note the emphasis again on those that do such things. The, the works of the flesh here are really described as, I, I mean, there's a lot going on there, and we, we, I'm not saying that there's not any of the other thing that I'm going to mention present, but a lot of this really describes actions, things you do, right? Yes? behaviors, external actions. And Christianity has a long, 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 long history of focused on external actions. In fact, Christianity in some cases could be seen as simply a system of morality that tries to enforce some kind of behavioral modification upon you so that you behave in a different way. There's a lot of emphasis on that. Don't do this, don't do that. And I'm not saying the Bible never says don't do this or don't do that. I'm saying Christianity almost is drawn to that concept above anything else. Right? Don't, like here's our list. Right? Here's our list. Don't do these things. And it can be everything from dancing, movies, long hair, whatever. It's, it's actions. Do what? Cars, playing cards, it can be anything, right? It's like all this, and it's behavior, 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 behavior. And there's a lot of behavior mentioned there, yes? And obviously the Bible is telling you these are works of the flesh, so it's telling you not to do that. So we have a tendency, I want you to think about this, to in a sense modify our behavior so that we don't do those obvious works of the flesh 
In other words, they're not obviously seen. So what does that, what does that create? When you have a bunch of people who modify their behavior so they're not doing the obvious works of the flesh. What does that create? It creates a sense of righteousness, a sense of morality. We look moral. We look righteous. In other words, you take us versus maybe someone who's doing those works of the flesh. We feel morally, whether we say it or not, there's a sense of feeling morally superior. We're not like those people. Right? And so when you walk in, right, you walk into Christianity, you're like, wow, these people are so much different than those pagans who do those things. These people are different. And I'm not saying there's anything inherently wrong with that. that, That's what should take place. The problem is when that's all it becomes. If all we do is stop certain behaviors, and something else is not added to that, you get a surface-level self-righteousness with something really missing. So there's the works of the flesh, which really focus a lot on the actions. Would we agree that there's a major emphasis there in action? Now, what, the next thing that shows up is what? There's the works of the flesh. What's the next thing that shows up? Fruit of the Spirit. And what are the fruits of the Spirit? What, what verse does that appear in? Verse 22? Galatians 5.22? Yes. The fruit of the Spirit is... Stop right there. Now, some would say, love is a verb, love is action. Not denying that there's not action involved. But you can do action and not truly have love. So this seems to go the fruit of the Spirit, seems to switch a little bit of the emphasis, not necessarily on the action, but on What? Or an attitude, an attitude, or a heart issue. In other words, by all means, the Bible talks about the outward behavior and will condemn the outward behavior. By no means am I excusing outward behavior. But sometimes we get so focused on the outward behavior, what is never brought in with it? The attitude or the heart. So you can have morally moral people who are not very loving you have people who don't do the works of the flesh, yet they, they lack love. We, what do we tend to focus on? The external behavior, right? Why? Why do we focus on the external behavior? Well, it's obvious, but it, in some cases, it's a, little, it's a little easier to deal with, right? What's, what's easier to deal with? Something going on inside, an attitude, your heart, a desire, or an action? An action, Right? In other words, what's, I mean, I'll I'll just use this. What's easier to deal with? External action of sexual immorality or inner lust. The external action, you hopefully, maybe you can put enough barriers and guidelines around to protect you, but that doesn't change the heart. So in other words, there's lots of people who never engage externally, but that doesn't change what's going on in the heart. But they will act like they're morally superior because they've never done the action. And that's why Jesus comes along somewhere on the mountain, blows that whole system all up, and just like, wait a minute. He condemns every. I mean, by the time you get done with the Sermon on the Mount, who can say anything other than, oh, well, I'm, going, I'm, I'm, I'm lost, I'm going to hell. I mean, like, what, what, what can you say, right? Sermon on the Mount destroys everyone. So love, what's the next one? Joy, next one. Peace, next one. Long-suffering, next. Goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Almost, the, almost every fruit of the Spirit focuses on an inner attitude, not an, ex, an external action. I'm not saying external action shouldn't flow from that. I'm just saying the emphasis... I'm not saying that there aren't any internal attitudes mentioned in the, the uh, sins of the flesh, but it seems that they're focused on what's known, what's manifest. This is what's inside of you. All right? I really want you to get that because this is critical to this week's Bible study exercise. Because this Bible study exercise, I'll just pull up the curriculum. If I just go to the curriculum, the picture on the curriculum is a dog 
sitting, looking at the front door. Now remember, art, there's, art it always has a meaning. There's always... No matter, I don't care what you're looking at. If there's a picture, it's not because they're like, well, we need a picture. And we got, oh, I got a picture of my dog. Look, just put it on there. That'll work. No, the picture symbolizes something, right? I remember we used to get the Bible study guides. I used to tell, look at the picture. Look at the picture. And everybody's like, well, I don't know. The picture means something, right? You got to interpret it, okay? What do you think that pictures? A door, a dog standing there looking at the door. Waiting patiently for the master. Demonstrating what kind of possible characteristic? Loyalty. Well, for those who, who are participating in the Bible, say, loyalty. Okay? Who could be hungry, but in this case, they wanted to picture, they're symbolizing it. It's loyal. He's loyal to his master. He's going to wait for his master. Now, of course, some dogs were tearing up the house at that point in time, but you get the idea. For this picture, they want to show how loyal that dog is waiting for his master to return. It's loyalty. Now, the, the reason I just talked about the fruit of the Spirit versus the sins of the flesh, right? Or the desires of the flesh, lust of the flesh, and the fruit of the Spirit, is because loyalty is... It's not... It, it can be manifest, but loyalty starts where? Something in the heart. It may manifest itself. So it's a heart attitude. It's not, it's not what we would typically... Think about, like we think about being a Christian, we we almost immediately we're like, well, describe a Christian. Some may describe their theological beliefs, but a lot of times it's like, well, you don't drink, you don't smoke, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's always this list of things we don't do. Instead of saying, describe a Christian, they're loyal, they're truthful, they're honest, they're loving, they're compassionate, they're they're merciful, they are forgiving, they are gracious. How comes those things get left out? Those, those things get left out because they get left out from the preaching of the church. We so focus on the other things. I, are the other thing, should the other things be neglected? No. What, what do I always say? What's the most important word? Balance, balance, balance. And it's hard to have that balance. It's like, the Bible's always, I mean, just think about it, when it says to put off the old and put on the new. There are things to put, but if we don't put on the new, then all we are are people who've put off the bad and we look like we're morally superior, but we've not put on all of these good things. Loyalty is something that I, I would never give much thought to. And the text of scripture that's used for this week in the Bible study exercise, I would have never approached it from the point of, of loyalty. The text of scripture, I would approach it this way. Well, that guy was a loser, and that guy was a loser. Don't be a loser like them. Because there's two people who get mentioned who, well, they, they, they mess up. You'll see here in a minute. Okay, I would have looked at it from that perspective. And, I, and when I looked at the, the curriculum, I was like, loyalty? Well, loyalty? There's no loyalty in the text, Right? Okay, I mean, this is betrayal. And we've already studied betrayal about what happened to Joseph. So why do they want me to study loyalty? And then I'm like, well, wait a minute. They're wanting me to see not just don't be the one who betrays someone. Be someone who is loyal to someone. Okay. But I don't like, where do I get this in the text? So I'm like, I know what I'll do. I have no clue what to do. So I'll give everyone a topical study and have everyone go work on it because I don't know what to do. Okay, so that's why I gave everyone the topical study because I didn't know what to do. All right, so what are we going to do? Well, here's what we're going to do tonight. The text is John chapter 13, which if you were a part of last week's study, you know we were in John chapter 13. Right, John chapter 13. Last week's study dealt with verse 1 to verse 17. And what happened in John 13, 1 through 17? Everyone knows this because we studied it in church, not just the Bible study exercise podcast. Jesus washing the disciples' feet, and we said that it pictured the incarnation, and it shows Jesus humbly serving others. And we, 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 talked a lot. we talked about the picture probably more than we sp- focused on humbly serving other people, but I tried to get everyone to think about how we can serve other people. Okay, all right. Well, this week, it's John 13, verses 18 to 38. And I don't know if I would have found loyalty in this, but we're going to work on it. So this is how we're going to work on it this evening, okay? Everybody got their thinking caps on? We're going to just go, we're going to kind of just work through the text, 
very much in a, a, a very Bible study exercise way, and that means we're just gonna, I'm gonna ask questions, we're gonna just kind of work through this, um, without just saying, here it is. I spent a good portion of today trying to figure out an outline for this. Right? John 13, 18, 38, and man alive, I, I can usually outline anything. This is a train wreck when it comes to outlining. This thing is a mess because some of it's very simple, but then Jesus throws in, like, you're like, okay, I got this. What are you talking about, Jesus? Like, it makes no sense. Like, even some of the commentaries, like, we don't know why Jesus is saying that. We don't have a clue. And he's like, well, where do you put in your outline? It's like, here's what I wanted to do. This is about betrayal and denial. And Jesus says a lot of things nobody understands. Okay? But that didn't sound like a good outline. All right? But let's work on it. Does that sound, does that sound, does that sound okay? All right. So here we go. Like, here's what, one of the, I'll just give you an example. Here's one of the outlines I kind of threw out there. Betrayal predicted. Betrayer identified. Denial predicted. Now that works great, but in each one of those sections, Jesus says something that you're like, I don't know what that, where, what, what. Do, do I put that in that same section? I almost felt like I need to separate it. But I think there's a, that's a pretty good outline of the, of the chapter. Right? Betrayal predicted, the betrayer identified, and denial predicted. And when I say denial, the denying of him predicted. All right? Does that kind of... So I know what's your question. We'll say my question. Where's the loyalty? How am I going to make this a positive teaching on loyalty? I don't know if I have an answer yet, but we're going to uh, look at this. So, so let's start with the most obvious thing. Since, do I? It, it is the opposite, but it's still just a weird text to use this. But that's okay. This is what the study guide wants us to do. I try to work my best with it. Because I, I like the idea of being challenged. Because betrayal would be like, don't betray someone, right? You're just going with the outward action. I like the fact that they're challenging me to look at it from a positive attitude. Because it's easy to say, okay, don't betray someone. But you may not betray someone in action, but you're not loyal to them inwardly. So, so that, I, I like that challenge. But let's do this. Let's start with a definition of loyalty, since that's the, the topic for the week. Definition for loyalty. Look up any, you can use any Bible dictionary. You look, or no, Bible dictionary probably won't have anything. Online, you can find any dictionary online. Just look up loyalty definition and see what you find. Okay, you have yours written down. Okay, good. All right. I'll let everyone... What, what do you have, Twyla? Okay, the state or quality of being loyal. Okay. Okay, so faithful becomes almost... The synonym, right? Would I agree? Okay, well, because I had everyone to look up synonyms and antonyms, all right? So we won't look at the antonyms, but uh, here I have something similar. If I look up loyal, or if I look up loyalty, it says the state of being loyal. So then I just looked up loyal, and it's going to be very similar to what you have. Unswerving in allegiance. Unswerving in allegiance. Faithful in allegiance to one's lawful sovereign or government. We're loyal to the king. Faithful to a private person to whom faithfulness is due. Faithful to a cause, ideal, custom, institution, product. A loyal churchgoer is what they use here. Loyal of the party of their forebearers. Showing loyalty, a loyal friend. So this idea of loyalty is sticking with someone. It's the idea of being faithful to that person. You're, you're, you're going to stay with them. Clearly, John 13, as we're going to see, seems to show the opposite. But let's just, we're going to work through the text and see what we find. Everybody ready? So there's a basic idea of loyalty. I would. I, I almost want to do a challenge here, but I won't. The question is, when we think of loyalty, do we think of that as a biblical attribute that we should have? Because we don't hear a lot of preaching on, hey, we're going to do a six-weeks conference on biblical loyalty and the need for it. 
No, we don't. Again, we always focus on something else. A lot of times it's external behaviors instead of these kind of attitudes. All right, so let's look at the text and see what we find. John chapter 13, verse 18. Jesus is speaking here, all right? I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scriptures may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. All right, let's stop right here. And immediately we see that there's something going on here in the context, right? Now, if we go back in John chapter 13, when Jesus is beginning to wash their feet, he makes a, a statement about, look at verse 10. Peter, Because remember, Peter's like, okay, wash, uh, wash not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Wash everything. Because Peter, you know, always confused and trying to figure out what's going on, okay? Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all, for he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. So the idea of betrayal has already been introduced in the previous section. So now, because we already know that previous section, this gives us some kind of idea what's going on here. We know something is going on. So, the first thing we have to figure out, I speak not of you all. I speak not of you all. What is the world? Jesus is not speaking of all of them in regards to what? What do you think? I speak not of you all. Hey, I'm not talking about all of you. Okay, okay, you're not talking about all of us in, in regards to what? I think the only, I think the only answer has to becomes what comes right before it, right? Okay, if we go right before it, Jesus says a number of things, right? First, he asks them, "Know ye what I have done to you?" And of course, they're all like, "Uh, you washed our feet." Okay, like, what are you talking about here? We're all confused. Okay, all right. But then he goes, verse thirteen: "You call me master and Lord." And you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. I speak not of you all. Now, he speaks not of all of them, because clearly there's one person he's not speaking of. And clearly, you would, I think, could we agree that the person he's speaking of, which we're, we're going to identify here in a minute, right, um, is, would, he wouldn't be calling him master and lord, right? Would you agree that that would seem to make sense? Or in other words, if he does call him master and lord, it's not true, right? And that if you know these things, happy ye are if you do them. There's a, there's a blessing. That blessing wouldn't be applied to the person. There's one person that that's not going to apply to. So he's, not, he's speaking of all of his disciples minus one person, and none of these things seem to be applicable to. That's the only thing I can draw from that. It just seems like a, okay, he just says all of these things, but I'm not talking about all of you. All right, so whoever you are, I'm not talking about you. I think that, all right? I know whom I have chosen. Now, what do we do with that phrase? Go to John 6. Go to John 6. I believe verse 70. I believe it's verse 70 and 71. The, almost the exact phrase is used here. And it's in the Gospel of John, so I think it's a good cross-reference, right? Same author, same book, and the same person speaking. Verse 70, Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve? One of you is a devil. He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. So I think when I go back to John 13, I know whom I have chosen, meaning... I know all of the disciples I have chosen. I don't think this is a soteriological choosing for salvation. This is reference to, I've cho- I know the people I've chosen to be my disciples. I know this. In other words, what's getting ready to happen 
He already, I mean, what did John 6? Did he, did he, he knew. He said, I know that uh, I've chosen and I know one of you are going to betray me. So in other words, what's getting ready to happen was not, did not catch Jesus by surprise. Did not catch Jesus by surprise. So, hey, I'm, I'm not talking about all of you. That's in reference to the things that come before, it seems. That you're, you know, there's some of you who don't see me as master and Lord, and some of you are not going to do what I say. Some of you are not going to get that joy. It, there's one of you, I should say. Okay? But he's, he's kind of very generic. Then he said, but I know who I've chosen. All right? Seeming to imply, I know all of those. I know, in other words, I know the ones I've chosen. He knows them in an intimate way. He knows what's really going on. Yeah. Right? Okay? Now, what happens Next. But that the scripture may be fulfilled, he that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. All right. Now, what's the first thing we need to do here? What scripture is he referencing? It's a psalm. That's a 41 verse 9, I believe. All right. Psalm 41, 9. Let's go to Psalm 41. Now, we could get into a whole discussion here about how New Testament uses Old Testament passages of Scripture, which at times is maddening, and you're like, what in the world are they doing? Okay, And a lot of times that gives people this idea that they can use Old Testament Scripture any way they want. When you become God, you can use it any way you want. Okay, Until then... You use it the way we use uh, all written context, okay? All right, Psalm 41.9. Let's go back to, we'll just read this in context here. Right, let's start, start in verse 1, all right? Psalm 41.1. Blessed is he that considereth the poor. Uh, the Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive, and he shall be blessed upon the earth, and thou will not deliver him until the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him upon the bed of uh, languishing, Thou will make all his bed in his sickness. I said, Lord, be merciful unto me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. Now, I just want you to see how bizarre it is that this verse is being referenced. Right? You see where this, like from a, you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus, don't quote a verse. Don't quote this verse because the section begins with what? I've sinned against thee. Like, what, 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 what are you? What are you doing, right? What are you doing? Like, you're going to make me fail hermeneutics class. I don't know what's going on here, okay? All right. So, be merciful to me. Heal myself, for I have sinned against thee. Mine enemies speak evil of me. When shall he, when shall he die and his name perish? And if he cometh to see me, he speaketh vanity. His heart gathereth iniquity to itself. When he goeth abroad, he telleth it. All that hate me whisper together against me. Against me do they devise my hurt. And evil disease say they cleaveth fast unto him. And now that he lieth, he shall rise up no more. Yea, mine own familiar friend, and whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Now, just a couple of things. Clearly, it's a psalm of David. So in one sense, this is referring to David. That's the sin part. Clearly, David has some enemies. And we think, this, we think that this is referring to a specific enemy. All right? We can look at some commentaries that will give some possible implications. But Jesus takes it and applies it to himself. Now, from a hermeneutical standpoint, I don't know how he can do that. I don't know why he can do that. I can't understand it from a hermeneutical perspective. The only way I can understand it is he's God. He can apply the text any way he wants. I cannot do that. All right? I cannot do that. But in this context, he takes obviously the suffering of David and he applies it to himself. Now, what's significant about what we see here? Well, I like the way it's written here. My familiar friend and whom I have trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his hill against me. Now, go back to John 13. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his hill against me. The reason, well, one of the reasons this is this supposed to be emotional and, and the, for the reader. This is demonstrating 
In this culture, eating with someone was a sign of you know companionship. It was it meant it meant more than just eating. It was like a there's a closeness here. This person's close. This person is trusted. He shares meals with this person. And that person is going to rise up his heel against him to, to hurt him, to, to bring him down, to betray him. All right? Now, immediately, remember, this is supposed to be about loyalty. This demonstrates what? The complete lack of loyalty. This is betrayal. This is, this is horrible. Now, I want you to stop before, hang on, let's go back to John 13, because we're going to, I'm going to have you look at something that I think is very interesting, all right? Now, just, so, right there. So, in verse 18, I speak not of you all in regards to what comes before. Everybody got that? I know whom I have chosen. Hey, Jesus chosen all 12. The fact he knows all of them, that means the next part is not in any way, shape, or form surprising. He's chosen all 12, knowing one is basically a devil, and that one's going to betray him, even though it's a close friend. Now, this raises a million questions that we could could spend all day trying to unpack. In fact, when you read that verse, what's a theological question that should come to your mind right here that's very hard for you to wrap your mind around? Yeah, or about him. He chose the one who's going to betray him. Knowing that he's going to betray him. That the scripture may be fulfilled. Now this raises questions. Well, wait a minute. So, Judas had no choice. Well, that, that specific one. Though it's clearly from Psalm 41, but the concept obviously it shows up earlier in John as well. That that's a good thought. I'd have to process that. But what I want you to see is the fact that he chose him, that the scriptures would be fulfilled, raises this whole question that we've been talking about in regards to God's decrees, His foreknowledge, predestination. And it, we don't we don't like this, right? Because you 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 almost feel like, well, then did Judas have a choice? Now, people say, well, he had a choice. God knew he was going to do that. So because God knew he was going to do that, then he chose him to do what he knew he was going to do. But if God knew what he was going to do before Judas was born, then he would do it because God's knowledge precedes Judas's existence. Okay. In a little bit of way, it's kind of reprobation in a way, right? Hey, I, God could intervene. Well, all of them could, but Jesus knew which one would, right, and chose that one for it. All of them could, in theory, theoretically, anyone could, right. And theoretically, they all could. Well, yeah, that gets into a whole, that gets into a whole other theological issue. Yeah, because now you get into God's providence and like, okay, why, why do some people do this and some people don't do that? Right? I mean, this gets into it. So this, this could just spiral out of control theologically. But I, I just want to at least acknowledge that a lot of commentaries acknowledge, so wait, so he had to do it? Well, no, we can't say he did. Well, no, well, maybe he couldn't. Okay, we can go all day on that. The point is, Jesus knew it was going to happen. And it happened to fulfill scripture and to fulfill God's eternal plan. Plain and simple. Now, you would say, did it necessarily require Judas for this to happen? Well, in God's plan, it did. So, it's just, I mean, we could go all day on this. But, here's what I want you to do. So, immediately, what do we see in John 13, verse 18? Like, if you were just to summarize that verse. Forget all of the, I broke down every little part, but just summarize verse 18. What happens in verse 18? What happens in verse 18? Just a, a one-sentence summary. He predicts, he predicts the betrayal, right? All right? So, betrayal predicted, right? Okay? Now, there's the betrayal. So, you're going, but where's the loyalty? It's the opposite of loyalty. I want you to just, maybe this won't make any difference to you, but because we studied the previous section last week, it kept ringing in my brain. Go to John 13, I believe it's verse 1. And I want you to contrast 1 with verse 18. What does John 13, 1 say? Uh, 
All right, speaking of Jesus, John 13, 1, this entire section begins with Jesus being, we are told that Jesus does what? He loved his own till the end. To love someone till the end would be the definition of what? Loyalty. Not only is the definition of loyalty, he's being loyal to those who will prove to be disloyal in multiple ways. Right? Here's one of them who's getting ready to prove to be disloyal. Has Jesus been loyal to Judas? Is Judas going to be loyal to him? Someone else is going to be mentioned in this text that Jesus has been loyal to, and they're going to prove their disloyalty. But Jesus continues to prove his loyalty. So just from a practical application, before we even move forward, Jesus is the example of loyalty. So we must always consider our loyalty in light of his loyalty, and we're always going to see that we fall very short of it. Right? So the way to measure your loyalty is to look at the loyalty of Jesus. All right? So everybody got that? So there's the, there's, there's the, the betrayal predicted. Now, here comes, <laughs> here comes verse 19. Now I tell you before it come, that when it is come to pass, you may believe that I am he. All right. Now, the, you see now, is, is, this, is this betrayal predicted? You see where I'm trying to outline, I'm like, what do I do with this? In a sense, it still goes with the betrayal being predicted. It kind of gives us the reason it's being predicted. Right? Why is Jesus revealing this? He seems to be, obviously, Judas is not going to believe, right? So I don't think he's referencing Judas here, right? Because he's already established, I'm not talking to all of you, right? It seems like he, he, he seems to be really be focusing in on the others, right? It, it seems to kind of get, I'm kind of getting that vibe, right? So what he wants them to understand is when it happens, because it's going to happen, what does he want to be the result of it? I want you to, when this happens, I want you to know that I am he, and I think the he there is reference to, I am the Christ, I am the Jew, I am the Messiah. Because what, what possibly could he be, why could he possibly be trying to explain this to them? Why? He could be thinking, just think about it. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. And he didn't see that coming. He didn't know Judas was going to betray. He didn't see the betrayal. Yeah, he, how did, how, if Jesus couldn't see that, then you can begin to question his deity. I think it's there. I think here you have, you have the betrayal predicted, and I think now you have, in a sense, the reason for the prediction. The reason for the prediction is to maintain the faith of showing Jesus is loyal to the others. He's showing his loyalty by helping them know, hey, when it happens, don't go, well, Jesus is obviously clueless. No, Jesus is like, I know it's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. Does, does that make sense? All right, next verse. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. Most of the commentaries are like, what in the world is this doing here? Why is this even here? What is Jesus even talking about? There is lots of speculation. I think there's one commentary that gave like five possible reasons, four possible reasons. Nobody knows. Okay. What in the world is it there for? Okay, so I'll give you an opportunity. All right. So we got, the we got verse 18, right? Jesus is basically predicting, hey, someone's going to betray. Who's going to betray me? The one that I've eaten with, right? Going to Psalm 41, someone I've been a friend with. Trusted friend. He's going to write, put his, basically his heel on me. He's going, to, he's going to step on me. Right? But hey, guys, 
Just know when it happens, I'm he. Because I knew it was going to happen. So far, so good. Then he starts, verily, verily. What, the NIV probably says, truly, truly. I'm guessing. I'll tell you the truth. All right, I tell you the truth. Now, that's usually, that's placed there for emphasis sake, right? Hey guys, I tell you the truth. Listen, listen. Now, this is the, almost the identical words. I think it's found in like Matthew 10. I'm just going from the top of my head. I think there's a cross-reference to this almost exact phrase to Matthew. I think it's, is it Matthew 10? I think it's Matthew 10. Is, is that what you're looking up, Sarah? Or are you looking up something else? I don't think, I didn't, I didn't write the cross-reference down. Is it 10 verse 40? Almost the exact words? Okay. Now, but he changes it at the end, doesn't he? No, he, or is it the same? Okay, all right. Okay, it's the same, okay. I thought maybe he changed it at the end, okay. All right. Okay, now, and in and, and, and the part in Matthew, he's, he's talking to the disciples, is he not? Matthew 10? Just looking for any possible, I'm, just, I'm throwing out ideas here. Remember, Bible study exercise, I do, I just kind of, talking to his disciples. Here in John 13, he's talking to his disciples. All right, now, just put on your best guess, because at this point, you can't be wrong, because nobody knows, okay? What in the world's going on? First of all, I don't know what in the world... Maybe this has some loyalty issues connected to this, but, but we'll just set aside loyalty for now. What in the world's going on? I mean, in the middle of this, I mean, it's like, what's weird? Okay, what, one second. what's weird to me is he just dropped basically a bomb on them. Hey, someone is going to betray me. And they're like, what's going on? He's like, now verily, verily, I tell you the truth. And you're like, oh, okay, what's, okay, tell me the truth. Who is it? And he doesn't tell him who it is. He says, verily, verily. <laughs> what in the world? What do you think? Okay. Okay. So you're okay. So you're saying he's emphasizing the fact, hey, I am he. And uh, the, the uh, has it, what's the next verse? I don't have it in front of me. Like I am, I am he, and therefore, if you receive me. Okay, okay. That's where that's where I was going to go. So on one hand, she's you're connecting it that it's almost another emphasis of his deity and his connection with the Father. Okay, right. And then, but that's the part that I think a lot of the commentaries focus on. That first part, you're like, okay, he's is he? It's just an assurance to the disciples that hey, those who receive you, receive me, right? So you go ahead. In other words, don't. In other words, don't allow. Think of it about it this way. It's the first part of that, I tell you a truth, that those who receive you receive me, right? Is that the first thing he says? All right, so hey guys, I'm going to be betrayed. When, you, when this happens, remember I'm he. Now you go do what you're called to do. You go do what you're called to do, and those who receive you receive me. In other words, don't allow this to be a distraction, right? Go on, go on. And remember this, and then the next part, Those who receive me receives him that sent me. And I think the implication is therefore Judas's betrayal is not a betrayal just of Jesus. It's a betrayal really of, well, of the Trinity, of, of, of the Godhead. Right. He's troubled in the spirit knowing that this is a betrayal of more of just Jesus the man, but deity itself. Judas is rejecting deity itself. Does that make sense? Okay, so in a roundabout way, 
I'm, I'm going to go back to the loyalty thing. Jesus is the model of loyalty, right? And the disciples in a roundabout way are being told that in the face of disloyalty, maintain your loyalty and go do what I've told you to do. Because disloyalty against Christ is disloyalty really against God. Right? So I'm just bringing in the loyalty concept there. But it's just interesting because he tells them, hey, if they receive you, they receive me. It's almost like an encouragement. You just go on and do what you're supposed to do. That's the only way I can understand it, right? The la- if he didn't say the first part, the second part makes more sense. Hey, the person who rejects me or the person who doesn't receive me doesn't receive the Father. That almost is like a direct explaining of Judas's actions there. That's the first part that throws everyone off. You're like, well, wait a minute, why? But I think it's an encouragement to the disciples, just go do what you're supposed to do. Right? Because if Judas betray, I, think of it this way. If Judas is, if someone among them is going to betray Jesus, the disciples are not going to trust, they're going to be untrustworthy. They're not going to trust anybody. And he's like, no, those who receive you, receive me. Those who don't receive me, they don't receive the Father. Right? Does that kind of make sense? Right? Now, what do you do with that in your outline? The, the, we got, think, it, of betrayal? Maybe. Okay. Or, or loyalty in the midst of betrayal? Encouragement in the midst of betrayal? There's a lot of different directions we could go here, right? If we wanted to build out a further outline. But still all goes with the betrayal, the betray, the betrayal being predicted, right? And then you've got kind of the subpoints under that. We can, we can make, bring out subpoints, right? Okay. See how we're doing that? Yeah. Because he, yeah, I mean, we, we, we have, we, I think he, he explains why he's giving the prediction in the previous verse, because he wants them to know that he's he. And then here is almost like an encouragement in the midst of it, right? So, we have it predicted, we have kind of the reason it's being predicted, and we have the encouragement in it. Okay, now what happens next? When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Now what is significant here? It, goes, it basically ends the, the betrayal being predicted again, right? Being predicted. Now, or you could now connect this to the next section, and we could call this the betrayal. Uh, the betrayer identified, because now he identifies him in this way. It's one of you. Yeah. So now this is like the beginning of the, the uh, betrayer being identified. What's probably the most significant thing about this verse? Yeah, this this is this is a, this is emotional for him. He's emotionally connected to this. Now, why is that important? Disloyalty. Hurts. Yeah, it shows his humanity, but disloyalty hurts. Disloyalty hurts people. When we're disloyal, it hurts. Now, again, that's going more to a disloyalty than loyalty. You see, it's hard to stay up from the positive aspect of it. To me, the positive aspect, what, to me, what I'm seeing through all of this is even though Jesus knows what Judas is going to do, even though he's about to be completely betrayed, he shows his loyalty in the face of it. That's, to me, loyalty. It, it, look, it's not hard to be loyal to people who are loyal to you. Disloyalty, that, that's probably the, if there's a lesson in this, all of the biblical, think of it this way, all of the biblical attributes, all the biblical fruits of the Spirit are to be maintained when you are experiencing the works of the flesh. When you are receiving the works of the flesh, we always respond to the works of the flesh against us with the fruit of the Spirit. I I respond in love when I get hate. I respond with joy when I face trial, trouble, and difficulty. I find peace when there's ter- turmoil. Right? What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Right? I respond to disloyalty with loyalty. Now, I know that goes against everything inside of us, right? 
I will love until you punch me in the face and then it's on. I have peace when everything's good, but when the world's falling apart, I'm going to have a little bit of anxiety and worry. I'm going to have joy when I, get, I win the lottery, not when I don't have any money. Long-suffering? I'll long-suffer to wait in line to get into my favorite movie, but I'm not going to long-suffer if I'm not going to get anything for it. Right? Now, I'm not going to long-suffer to, you know, go to something I don't want to go to, right? It's, am- am- it's amazing what we will endure, right? I mean, I hate outside, but I have no problem standing outside five hours to get into WrestleMania or any other wrestling pay-per-view. I got no problem. Okay, it's 175,000 degrees. Hey, because that's important. But other things, eh, that's okay. That's okay. No, I, I, no, I, no, no part. You get the, yeah, we, so uh, this is the biblical principle. Respond, the biblical fruits of the Spirit are to be manifest when you face the opposite of them. Think of it this way. You are to respond with the biblical fruits of the Spirit when you are receiving or facing the opposite of them. When you're facing the antonym of them, you're to, face, you're to respond biblically. That makes it hard. See, it's, it's, it's wonderful to talk about the fruits of the Spirit until you're confronted with the opposite attitude. Then, that's why when, and then not what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? If someone smacks you on the right cheek? What in the world is that nonsense? Love my... Bless him that curse. What? No, 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 no. That's the opposite. So if we're going to talk about loyalty, loyalty has to be done in the face of disloyalty. And that's exactly what we're seeing. Jesus is going to love his own till the end, no matter what they do. And now they're confronted, the disciples are confronted with the reality that there's a disloyal person in their midst. And immediately what happens after that. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. They don't know what's going on. They're like, what, who, where, what, when, what, where? They're all confused and trying to figure it out. Figuring out who it was, who it was. And I guarantee you when they were figuring out, I could be wrong, but about 99% sure that they're all thinking it's someone other than them. They're probably all thinking it's someone other than them. Okay? And, yeah, except for G. Hopefully they don't think, well, you're going to betray yourself. Okay? But, now what's interesting is one of them, as they're all trying to figure it out, there's probably one not ever thinking or that he's getting ready to be told, oh, you're, oh, you're going you're gonna to betray me too. Okay? Because another individual is going to get called out for denying, which is the same form of betra- a different form of betrayal. It's going to happen. All right? So, I, we, we have to kind of stop there. So, I hate stopping there, but we have to stop there, okay? We have 22 to 38 going, and 20, 22 to 30, basically, the betrayer is going to be identified, right? He's going to be identified. And then, we have a lot of things. Jesus throws in a lot of stuff in verse 31 and following that you're like, what in the world's going on? But it all comes down to, hey, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Another form of betrayal. And what I want to demonstrate is this. What does Jesus, and this is very interesting, all right? So the, the section begins with what? He's going to love him to the end. Yeah, or, or the, the chapter, yeah. So Jesus is the epitome of loyalty. Now just look carefully. Go through John 13. What verse did we just stop? 22. Okay, there's all the disciples talking. Jesus talks about how you're going to, I'm going to identify them by the person who puts his bread in, right? Okay, then right after that, then Judas goes out into the darkness, right? So Judas leaves, right? Already got to be a crazy situation. The disciples, I don't know if they've, they, the text seems to, they don't truly understand. He identifies them, but they're not, they don't really get it. They still don't understand, right? They're like, what's going on? Like nobody thinks, well, why is Judas leaving? They think he's going to go, like, help the poor or something. Like, they, they don't know what's going on, okay? I mean, be, the disciples were constantly clueless. But just watch what happens. Then Jesus starts talking about glory, right? You see that? 
And then something weird happens in the middle of that. Something really weird happens. Keep going, yeah? He gives them something in the middle of all of this going on. He gives them a new commandment. Now, first of all, it's not new, but because the same commandment has been given, so what makes it new? What's the commandment? You love others as I have loved you. What's new here is not the commandment to love others. What's new here is now they have an example of the love which they are to offer. And that love is seen where? Chapter 13, verse 1. Now, I find, I find this in, in, interesting. This is so important. He's being betrayed and he's being denied. These very same disciples, after the resurrection, are going to find themselves being betrayed and they're going to... Re- I mean, he's already talked about those who receive me, receive the Father. Implication, those who reject me, reject the Father. They're going to see rejection and denial. He's already talked about those who receive you, receive me. He's preparing them, though, that they're going to experience a lot of bad things. And do a lot of bad things happen when you get into Acts? Imprisonment, stonings, right? And all of the horrible things that take place. And we go through church history, we know most of the disciples are killed. So what... In a roundabout way, Jesus is using the betrayal and the denial to challenge them that how should they respond to the betrayal and the denial? With love. Right? I mean, it's right there in the text. I, I give you a new commandment. How does, the, how does the chapter begin? I loved him till the end. If Jesus can love the betrayer and the denier till the end, we can love those who do, who respond to us in a ungodly manner. We seem to think that if we are faced with ungodliness, we respond with ungodliness. We think that if we face uh, liberals or, or, or people who are corrupt, we can call them names and act like a crazy person on Twitter. That's not the way we're supposed to respond. We almost celebrate that in the evangelical church. It'll be some politician out there calling people names, calling, you know, talking about uh, Biden's mental capacity, and we're like, oh, that's all funny. That's not Christian. That's not Christian. We don't do that. We love, we show, we respond in a biblical way. The biblical way of responding is never the fleshly way of responding. We always want to respond to the flesh with the flesh, but we're supposed to respond to the flesh with the fruits of the Spirit. So when I'm facing disloyalty, I respond with loyalty. The world will say, that's stupid, that's dumb, that's ridiculous, that's full. They will mock you for it, But that's what Jesus says to do. And what's the model? He loves, and I am to love the way he loved me. And how does he love you? Is he loyal to you and your disloyalty? You're disloyal every day. Does he love you when you don't love him? Does he remain faithful when you're not faithful? That's the model. So in a roundabout way, loyalty kind of shows up. Jesus is the model of it. And then in the midst of a betrayer and a denier, Jesus just drops on them, oh, love one another as I have loved you. Because right there at that point, they would probably be thinking, wait, what's going on? Who's the denier? Who, who's, what's going on? And Peter's getting ready to deny. And guess what? You think that you don't think some of those disciples after Peter denies him three times may be like, well, you know, in the modern church, they'd be like, you're a denier. You're a loser. Get out of here. Get out of here. And where do we find Peter? He's the one preaching. The denier is the one who preaches the sermon at Pentecost. Modern church would have been like, Peter, I'm sorry. We don't think you can preach. You've denied you. You need to sit down. You're not allowed to preach. You're disqualified. You're finished. You're done. Go home. You need to die. Because we're, we're the godly ones. We didn't deny you. But Jesus picks him, the denier, to preach the sermon. Isn't that insane? Demonstrating that he loved his own all the way to the end and demonstrate that there can be forgiveness and restoration. Doesn't mean that Peter was excused in what he did because what he did was wrong. 
No one excuses it and says, hey, that was wonderful. It just shows that the denier can still be used by God. And those who, and you could, you could imagine, and, and from human perspective, you're sitting there listening to Peter preach, you know that would be someone inside going, you denied him three times, you're going to preach to me? Whatever. I'm not listening to you. I don't even know what you're talking about. You're an idiot. We, we respond to the flesh, fleshly. Jesus is trying to teach us we respond with the fruits of the Spirit, biblically. All right? Think of it this way. We, we respond to disloyalty uh, with, not with the antonym, but with the synonym of loyalty, right? We don't go with the synonym of disloyalty. We go with the synonym of loyalty and everything that's connected to loyalty. That's what we go with. And that's not, e- and guess what? Are we ever going to do it perfectly? No. Our, and, you, and you know what the good news is? He stays loyal. Okay. He did it perfectly for me. Right? Doesn't excuse my imperfection. All right, let's stop right there. All right, I, I'm going to make sure that there's no comments or anything or questions or people going, what in the world are you talking about? I don't see anything. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this evening. Just uh, another step in this chapter this week, as we continue to talk about loyalty and think about it, I pray that this will just add to the study and the discussion people are already having on the subject, and this will just add to that conversation, and that you will just challenge us to think about the attitudes and the fruits of the Spirit just as important as we place on external action and behavior. We ask this in Jesus' name. Because people say,